2: The Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, on matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic.
3: The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. You cover
4: church news... Politics and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The
5: Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch the Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today.
0: Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media.
6: Let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated patriotic public servants. Richard, Stubble.
7: Target 8, taking you inside the takedown of the FBI agent who led one of the nation's biggest domestic terror investigations. Tonight, for the first time, police body cam video of the first blow to the federal team prosecuting one of Michigan's highest profile cases ever, the alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Former FBI agent Richard Trask is scheduled to enter a plea tomorrow on charges he beat and choked his wife, but target investigator Susan Samples discovered the former agent didn't just betray his badge off duty. He also spewed vitriol online, revealing his personal politics amid perhaps the most politicized federal investigation in Michigan's history.
6: The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated patriotic public servants.
8: Shots fired at me. Over here, guys!
9: Take cover on the building! Are you over there by the orbit room? Affirmative. Shots fired.
1: New dash cam and body cam video revealing the intense moments an FBI agent opened fire on Grand Rapids police and the bizarre interview that took place after it was all over.
6: The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants.
10: One of its agents, after his gun went off while he was dancing and doing a little gymnastic movement, the incident was caught on video and left one person wounded in the leg. Jeff Begay's is outside the Bureau's headquarters in Washington. Jeff, good morning.
6: Good morning. This definitely was not that agent's finest hour. Now his career is on the line. The shooting happened in a Denver nightclub early Saturday morning. The agent was off duty when his gun accidentally fired.
11: He was dancing and then right as he did that backflip, his gun fell out and it hit the ground. Um, It shot off.
6: Kara Chancellor was in Denver's Mile High Spirits Distillery and Tasting Bar when the off duty FBI agent dropped his gun and accidentally fired it when he tried to grab it. Can you
12: tell us anything more? Was he watching the news? Was he scrolling Twitter? Did someone in his
10: staff flag it for him? I can tell you this. He was not uh, aware of, 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 uh, of, uh, of the Marlowe uh, raid. I don't know if you guys are calling it. The
5: We are serious podcasters, news professionals. <laughs> this is your this info hour. The Fab Four are here. Mar a Lago top news tonight. Ryan, Mar a Lago was raided by your Federal Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> now we know. Now we know that it's in good hands, right? We know that.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, it, were any of them dancing? That's kind of what I want to know. Um, as they're going through, they're dancing through uh, Melania Trump's wardrobe or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's a weird thing, and the legal anal- analysts, I mean, you see the partisan you know, sides of people who can't stand the former president. We're not big fans of him, but at the same time, we tend to be a little more dispassionate about these things. And as I'm looking into it, it, it does look odd on a number of levels that they're going to go through this. There's so many ways in which this could be done very carefully. Uh, I've watched a couple of former FBI agents who've been on the news that have said that they don't really understand why they had to issue a warrant to go get these things, uh, what, you know, whatever they are, because if there was that dangerous, if it was that much of a national security risk, um, why has this taken so long? You know, they, they, it would have been like, you know, step one, as soon as they're aware of it, but obviously it's not that great of a risk. So why is it they're going into it? And, it? and it leads to what a lot of people have said that it looks more like a political stunt 60 days out from midterms.
5: Yeah. Uh, the the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We're really proud of our officers. Uh, here's Ted Cruz questioning one of them.
1: Recently, there was the case against individuals charged with kidnapping and murdering Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. That case ended up an absolute debacle, where the four people who went to trial, two of them were acquitted, two received mistrials. None of them were convicted on even a single charge, and the basis of the defense was entrapment, that the FBI, that paid enforcements for the FBI, had suggested and had incited the conduct. Let me ask you, how many FBI agents were disciplined or reprimanded after that disastrous case and the misconduct that led to every defendant being acquitted or having a mistrial on every charge? Uh, Senator, I can't comment on a personal matter. I can tell you that that case, as I understand it, is now pending a, uh, a retrial, as I understand it. Well, the special agent in charge of that case has now been sent to D.C., to the Washington, D.C. office, and now leads the investigation regarding January 6th. Is that correct? That doesn't sound right to me. That does not sound right. The, the, the name of the individual is Stephen D'Antuno. He was, he was run out of the FBI Detroit field office. And by the way, I will point out that the lead investigator, Special Agent Track, are you aware that he was apparently fired for allegedly beating his wife after coming home from a swingers party and he'd made multiple derogatory political posts about President Trump showing political bias? Are you aware of that? I am aware of, I think, the incident you're describing uh, and action that was taken about it. Uh, To clarify on the first part of your question, Uh, Mr. D'Antuano, was the special agent in charge of the office, uh, the Detroit field office, and is now the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. I thought you were asking about the agent who was responsible for the investigation. So the guy in charge got promoted and is now in charge of the January 6th investigation. The guy in charge of the whole Detroit field office is now in charge of the whole Washington field office. That is astonishing.
5: I think that's called the Peter principle. Is that is does that sound right? Have you guys heard of this the Peter principle? I I just that's I just funny. know I was just made aware of the Peter principle at a at a uh, business networking thing I was doing. Someone was describing it to me and essentially like the the least competent person, like the worst people always get promoted cuz like no one wants to deal with them. That oh, that's, what they,
4: that's what they call it. I dealt with <laughs> that my whole life.
3: Much.
5: Which... <laughs> we call it—we call it—we uh, call it in the, the industry I used to work in, uh, failing up. Lots of people are good at failing yeah, up. Like you can't that. do your job, and so you get promoted, promoted out of your job.
3: That explains the Episcopate, then. Exactly.
4: I, was, I just <laughs> told the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> exactly. So the okay,
5: let's let's talk about this whole Trump thing because you're right, Ryan. You set it up brilliantly. We're not Trump aficionados per se, but it is interesting. You know, I know a certain fake news organization where when you point out that they're doing something, then they write articles accusing you of doing exactly that thing that they themselves have done. And it's so funny because now we have Hillary Clinton actually did mishandle classified information. She Mm -hmm. had hundreds of classified emails on her email server in her basement we know that those emails were compromised by Russia, China, and our other adversaries. We know that the classification levels for at least 100 of those emails were top secret special access protocol. Now, look, as someone who has a top secret security clearance, I don't even have, S- I don't have SAP. I don't have SCI, S- S- Special Compartmentalized Information Access. You have to have a need to know these things. And yet Hillary was putting them on her, on her freaking cell phone and keeping them in her basement. The things that they came in into Trump's uh, house for, uh, James, I don't know if you can hear me. Can you thumbs up if you can? Yeah. Uh, they came into Trump's house, Washington Post reporting that supposedly he has some nuclear secrets that they were going after. That's not in the search warrant that was released today at three o'clock Eastern. Uh, they took 20 boxes of stuff out of his house, including things like golf balls, signed napkins. Uh, I mean, this is this is the n- pressing national security Crisis to take the golf balls from Mar-a-Lago. What are we going to do, James?
2: Yeah, this has been one of the uh, strangest weeks in politics. Uh, And, of course, for the nation at large, dealing with uh, intelligence agencies that don't know exactly what they're doing and uh, whether or not they know that the whole world is seeing this as a political witch hunt is yet to be known uh, because they're all walking around practically exposing their bias, their hatred, whatever you want to call it for the former president. Now, you just said uh, what I was going to say is, you know, we, we don't particularly have uh, this uh, relationship with Trump as the other conservatives do uh, out there, but at least we like to understand that there's a rule of law and that everyone is being uh, held to the, those same rules. Now, what's understood now is di- disproportionately the conservatives slash Republicans are always... You know uh the ones having to deal with um all of this kind of stuff. uh we've seen Trump dealing with it. We've seen uh you know Republican candidates for office for for the Senate and for Congress dealing with this kind of uh uh disproportionate uh, uh, uh police involvement in in their races, you know and uh you know we have a race uh coming up uh, November second, you know uh, midterm elections, and so th- all this kind of plays into that you know what's what's exactly happening here? I don't know, but these FBI agents uh, are going out there parading uh, in Melania's closet. And um, you have people like uh, Lindsey Graham. I have to dunk dunk on uh, Lindsey Graham. He's out there posturing for goodness knows what. Um, Yet he didn't lift a finger to do anything uh, when Liz Cheney was running her mouth about January 6th. Didn't do anything post-2020 elections when people were crying foul. You know, and all of a sudden now he's got that bravado again, you know, because we're nearing the the uh, the midterm elections. And so he has to sh- show himself as being the brave Republican. But we all know what's happening. He's so happy to go back to South Carolina this weekend because he knows the FBI have a special delivery waiting for him. He's going to open it up and he's going to unbox a whole lot of uh, Melania's unmentionables. And he's going to be so happy.
5: I have to caution you on two things. Number one, if you dunk on Lindsey Graham, he might enjoy oh. it. And number two, the presidential closet that they need to be looking at is Michelle Obama. I just want to know how many men's clothes and jockstraps they're going to find. Uh, Brother Martin.
2: You said it, not me.
5: I'm sorry for that transition to you, Brother Martin. It's very imprudent of me, but hey, we're having fun tonight. It is the rundown Friday night. You've got to subscribe to the YouTube channel, by the way. If you haven't subscribed, then anathema to you, Brother Martin. There's no rule of law anymore. There's no such thing as law. I don't even know that the powers that are governing our lives right now are legitimate. What is a poor Catholic to do living in an illegitimate society? Brother Martin. there? There you go.
4: Oh, sorry. Uh,
11: you're the I first
5: was... you're never the you're never the one you're never the offender and tonight you're the first offender people i did, i didn't i didn't myself
4: it, I No, didn't it's my
3: fault i muted him because the static on his end uh, <laughs> oh, when oh, Ryan, Ryan jumps on it. what a man
4: is it it static sorry okay well i'll try to fix whatever static um regarding our ordinary lives well we just live, live our ordinary lives acknowledging whatever authority uh is there however however more and more um I guess within my own prayer and and conscience, I think there really is uh, a need for all of us to be able to prepare for whenever the government, uh, in a sense, attacks us. We just saw uh, 87,000, the IRS wanting to hire 87,000 new agents that are all willing to exercise lethal force. This is absolutely incredulous. I think more and more we've we've seen President Biden uh, not using so much the military to attack uh, the american people but using other agencies within the government's power um to exercise its force uh, the fact that eighty-seven thousand uh, agents have been hired by the irs that are willing to use lethal force or they're they're trying to hire these um tells us the people that one by one they're going to be coming they're going to be coming after us with with well with lethal for- lethal force um so really yeah it, you know, it, it's so
5: funny they they took that job posting offline too brother martin like as soon as it made the rounds on social media that you're of hiring course. people who uh, know a little bit of about accounting, can lift a box, you know. Have to have a professional. Oh, and by the way, uh, deadly force. Use of deadly force.
4: Listen, I'm trying to. I'm <laughs>
5: collector. I'm trying to, I'm trying
4: to. I'm trying to talk around the bush, but I'll say bluntly: everybody who's listening should know how to shoot a gun. Yeah. Pure and simple. We're, we're, we're coming to those times.
5: Yeah, it's getting bad. Uh, it is getting bad. Gentlemen, uh, anyone else want to jump in on this Trump thing? I mean, look, there's a lot more to say. The hypocrisy of it is astonishing. I think that what I think, look, here's what I'll say about it. And I'll toss back to you, Ryan. Mm. They do these things so brazenly and in open in, in, in full view to mock our own sensibilities. It is such a brazen injustice what's happening. And it is a mockery and it is, a, it is an irony that they are now accusing Donald J. Trump of precisely the crime that we know that Hillary Clinton committed, that even Comey said that she committed, but Comey said no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges against Hillary Rodham Clinton for keeping special access protocol, top secret material in her basement. That is a, that is a leak that would have sent my, you know what to Leavenworth. If I had done that when I was on active duty and yet, Hillary gets away with it. Trump takes some boxes of memorabilia, signed uh, napkins and such. and this is a national security crisis, Ryan? They're mocking us.
3: Of course they are. That's part of what their entire um, you know montage has been their their, their mojo, their, uh, their their modus operandi who knows when, always accuse the enemy of what you yourself are doing. And you laid that out a little bit earlier. So I mean Hillary Clinton, I don't know if anyone remembers this one, during the early years of uh, Baby Bush, Uh, former Clinton National Security Advisor Sandy Berger, who remembers him. He was caught stuffing classified info from the National (laughs) Archives into his pants. He walked out of the building, and then they started scrambling people to go after him, and they find him. He's burned those documents. No charges. Nothing happened to him. Um, And so this is clearly political. And, And Trump himself, in my opinion, is not necessarily the target we are through him, whether you like him or not, just the, what he represents to the left. Great Which point. is conservatism, family values, whatever. So if you're like us, where we're somewhat skeptical of Trump and be like, eh, not as bad as what we got now, or right. you're totally, you know, rah-rah, MAGA hat, everything, you love Trump, then, in and fine, none of my business, but it's like, it doesn't really matter. As far as the left is concerned, we're all the same. Because we're not woke leftists turning our kids into, uh, you know, whatever opposite,
13: yeah,
3: uh, whatever alphabet uh, letter <laughs> of the month it is. Is that
5: is it? turning our kids into what the second half of the rundown always talks about, invariably, <laughs> which we will do tonight?
3: Um, if you want, there, some follow-up on that FBI agent. I've got a video. Part of it was in the intro. Um, and I've got a Twitter thread on it because I think it actually goes further into, uh, oh, man. pull or, it up, you know,
5: pull it up because the Bureau, the federal, you know, it's funny too, while you're pulling it up, there are certain news organizations out there that pretend as though they, uh, distrust the FBI, unless the feds are involved in accusing a priest they don't like, in which case the feds don't get it wrong. But then again, if the feds go after, uh, dear leader Trump, then the feds are, so, you gotta you got be consistent, people. You right? gotta either say that the feds are right or they're wrong, but you can't have it both ways. Especially
3: when your feds ah. are like this guy.
5: Shots are fired at me I
9: don't think it's so Over here, guys! Take cover on the building. Are you over there by the orbit room? Mm-hmm. Alternative. Shots
8: fired.
1: NEW DASH CAM AND BODY CAM VIDEO REVEALING THE INTENSE MOMENTS AN FBI AGENT OPENED FIRE ON GRAND RAPIDS POLICE AND THE BIZARRE INTERVIEW THAT TOOK PLACE AFTER IT WAS ALL OVER. WE GOT THE VIDEO THROUGH THE FREEDOM OF INFORMATION ACT AND SUSAN SAMPLES IS HERE TO BREAK DOWN WHAT THE VIDEO SHOWS US. SUSAN?
11: BRIAN, POLICE TURNED OVER NEARLY TWO DOZEN VIDEO CLIPS TO US FROM THE DASH CAMS AND BODY CAMS OF SEVERAL GRAND RAPIDS POLICE OFFICERS. We get to see the first interview also with Las Vegas FBI Special Agent Ruben Hernandez, moments after he allegedly fired his gun at police. But first, we want to show you what led up to his arrest. This all happened just after one in the morning at at the Planet Fitness Gym near Centerpoint Mall. Within minutes of getting the call of a man with a gun, a small army of officers shows up. In this clip, you can see a team of officers in tactical gear, helmets and shields, slowly approach Ruben who is already on the ground. His Gun already in the parking lot. In the interview, you can hear Hernandez is clearly confused.
14: Anybody that's wearing this uniform, I will not hurt you, ma'am. Okay. You know Here's the thing,
0: Okay. You have a holster on you. There's a gun in the parking. Stop talking. There's a gun in the parking lot from the direction that you came. You took a shot at one of our officers. You're not going anywhere.
14: You're going to stay in the car until someone
0: can
14: come and talk to you.
11: Do you understand that? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Ma'am. Ma'am, can you take it off on me? No.
3: Oh no. Oh. Then I don't know about you, but it seems kind of like he's up on something.
5: Uh, and then you you know, it, it, by the way, the, the the standards of the FBI on paper, so I've heard, so I've been told by supervisory special agents that I know, they're not supposed to drink alcohol ever because they're never off duty. This guy's high as a kite.
3: And then there's uh, our friend from Michigan. Richard Stubble.
7: Target 8, taking you inside the takedown of the FBI agent who led one of the nation's biggest domestic terror investigations. Tonight, for the first time, police body cam video of the first blow to the federal team prosecuting one of Michigan's highest profile cases ever, the alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Former FBI agent Richard Trask is scheduled to enter a plea tomorrow on charges he beat and choked his wife, but Target 8 investigator Susan Samples discovered the former agent didn't just betray his badge off-duty, he also spewed vitriol online, revealing his personal politics amid perhaps the most politicized federal investigation in Michigan's history.
3: Aggravated domestic? Yeah, with strangulation. We don't know if he's armed.
11: These are the
7: calls that can
11: careen into chaos, turn deadly in an instant.
9: Sheriff's office.
11: On this night, the risk ratcheted so much higher.
9: Sheriff's office, anybody in
11: this suspect doesn't just know police tactics, he lives them.
1: And our uh, terrorism, yeah, behind anyone. We're getting the kids out of the house right now. So we don't know if he's armed. He's been drinking. Is he intoxicated? Trask, T R A S K. And first name Richard.
11: Richard Trask, not just any federal agent, but a lead investigator in the middle of one of the Fed's most critical cases.
3: You're not tearing the volume off.
9: Said at one point took your head and hit it against a nightstand? Yeah. How many times think did that?
11: Multiple times, said Trask's wife.
3: He's hitting your head. You said he strangled you, choked you out. She's got a pretty good laceration on the side of her head. She's got strangulation marks around her neck.
11: Richard Trask's wife had called 911 around 2 a.m., July 18th, told Kalamazoo County deputies the couple had returned home from a Kalamazoo area hotel, a swingers party she hadn't wanted to attend.
9: Where was this? Any argument? Any was
11: there,
8: this
9: two,
11: uh, Trask's wife said they'd been arguing about the party when he smashed her head against the nightstand and grabbed her by the neck. She managed to break free, and the FBI special agent took off in her car.
10: and
2: please record your message. When you
3: finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Richard. It's Deputy Cade, from the Sheriff's Department. Just trying to talk to you. Um, looks like we have an incident at your house tonight and trying to get your side of the story.
11: Two hours later in a shopping center parking lot.
14: Jeff, Richard, step up. What? Step up. All right.
13: What is going on? What, what
11: is going on? Cuffed on a felony charge of assault with intent to do great bodily harm.
1: Any weapons on you? No. Okay, where are your guns at?
4: At the house. At the house? You have none with you, though? No. no. Go and
12: take them. All right, Richard.
11: I'm going to read you your Miranda warnings. There would be no statement from the special agent whose signature nine months earlier sealed the government's criminal complaint, charging six men with conspiring to kidnap Michigan's governor.
3: Do you understand each of the rights I've explained to you?
11: Richard
7: Trask is an honorable man
10: who has served this community for many, many years. He has spent his entire career protecting
11: and serving this nation. Turns out Trask, clean-shaven here for court, had also spent a lot of time on social media. Agent Trask, I need to talk to you about your Facebook posts. Target 8 uncovered Trask's Facebook account, where he posted memes mocking COVID deniers. I read your anti-Trump Facebook posts. In one of Trask's so-called Toilet Thoughts of the Day, he wrote, quote, If you still support our piece-of-blank president, you can blank off. As someone whose wife works in the hospital, I hope you burn in hell along with your blank-blank reality TV star. His ego is going to kill a lot of people, and anyone who supports him is a dumb blank. Trask wrote, This is what you get when you elect an egotistical, narcissistic maniac to the top office. He needs people to be nice to him, or he won't help. That post dated March 28, 2020, which was early on in the FBI's investigation into the alleged conspiracy among militia members to kidnap Michigan's Democratic governor. Why you would post things like that while you're investigating the kidnapping plot case. No comment, which clearly won't be the case for attorneys defending the alleged kidnap plotters, who are questioning the credibility of Trask and the two other main agents on the case, trying to mount an entrapment defense, arguing.
1: Essentially, without the government's involvement in some way or the government's sponsorship in some way, the crime would not have been committed.
11: Former U.S. attorney Michael Zweibach told Target 8 Trask's Facebook posts call into question his judgment. But experts say the posts do not violate the law banning partisan political activity.
3: I think that going on far enough, but you get the picture there. And it, especially what ties in with the COVID stuff, too. I mean, these, these are the people at the top. A guy like that's Trask that.
5: has the ability to deprive you of your life and your liberty, your rights, your property, your freedom. A guy like Trask can put you in jail. A guy like Trask who goes to swinger parties, beats his wife, drives drunk, is in char- and 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 posts about how uh, how bad Trump is is in charge of entrapping you, planting bombs with you, giving you bombs and then arresting you for having those bombs. I mean like this this is not the American Republic that the rah-rah founding fathers uh, thought of. And it's certainly not a crypto-Catholic nation like our very misguided skateboarding uh, loser uh, friend of ours uh, says. And, and, and here's, here's where this is going. Where is this going? Great Britain is always a little bit ahead of us. You guys You guys in the UK, you're always fashion forward. This is where it's going. No. The <laughs> Hampshire yeah. police yeah, would... Realize how ridiculous
9: this is. It is ridiculous. It is. to come to this. What did it need to what did come to? Tell, tell, tell us what, why you escalated it to this level. Because I don't understand. It, I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me, you don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Because someone has been caused, obviously, anxiety based upon your social media page.
1: That's why you've been arrested.
5: You're now gonna to go to jail, James, over a social media post. That's the next thing that's coming. That's 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 the new hotness. A guy who sits on the toilet after a swingers party after bloodying his wife's head and choking her out because she didn't want to participate in the swingers party. That guy who posts vitriol online is going to be the one arresting you for what you're doing on the rundown.
2: You can imagine this. I mean, this is quite um Disconcerting, at least it should be, to, to those who are saying uh, Republicans are misogynists or conservatives are misogynists, what have you, all, all the various uh, names that uh, conservatives are, are, are called. And here's a federal agent um, with, you know, arrest powers, basically saying, you know what, wife, if you don't like the party that I want you to go to, I'm going to bash your head against a wall. And you're gonna bleed, and you're gonna like it. And this is the people; these are the kind of people that we are giving uh, federal powers to. It's absolutely I. But um, if going back ten years, you know that I mean, I I I remember being in in uh, D.C. and seeing starting to see a bunch of these guys uh, entering into office and kind of realizing, you know what? Uh, this the, the 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 old school. Uh, <laughs> Agents are on their way out. Matter of fact, you know, there's a new breed of FBI agents coming in and uh, they're, they're the ones who are most likely to, to do anything and say anything to keep their power. And this is what, what, what has happened here is, uh, you know, Ray, uh, FBI Director Ray, has given this guy a promotion. For what reason? I don't know, except upholding what he believes in his views are... What FBI agents should be doing, in his view, he got a promotion and now he's in Washington D.C.
5: Yep, and uh, you know, and the man who's in charge of all of these people, the chief law enforcement officer in the United States of America, chief executive, uh, commander in chief. Uh, well, it, you can tell that he's uh, he's uh, keeping a tight grip on these United States, brother Martin. <laughs> Gotta get that jacket on, brother. <laughs> Some help with that blazer.
4: It's been a while since I've worn a blazer, but it's always funny watching those military guards just looking there, just stiff <laughs> as your commander in chief is struggling, even holding his glasses on his face <laughs> before they fall off. So glad.
5: I'm so glad that uh, we have someone who's not senile in charge of the United States of America. Well, that's it. Uh, also, I'm so glad that he has decided to actually finish the wall. At least, you know what? That's one policy that I
15: agree with fake Catholic usurper and Chief Joe Biden on. Why is the Biden administration building a border wall in Arizona?
10: So um, we, are not, uh, we are not finishing the wall. Uh, we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh, left behind in their in their failed attempt. Uh, To build a wall and I just want to be very very clear here on day one uh, We returned the money uh, The eight billion dollars the prior administration took from our military. We gave that back Uh, to the military, for military families, for schools, for bases. Uh, That's what that money was being used. That's what it was taken away from. And so, again, what we're doing is cleaning up the mess that the prior administration has done.
15: But President Biden, when he was a candidate, said, there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So what changed?
10: We are not finishing the wall.
15: If walls work in that part of Arizona, is this... The administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas. What what is the plan?
10: We are not finishing a wall. We are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. We are trying to save lives. This is what is this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up.
15: By finishing the wall. Is this we are not finishing the wall? By filling in, finishing?
10: We are not finishing the wall.
15: By filling in uh, is, this a, is this racist? Because in 2019, when the former guy was proposing a wall, you said uh, that it was his racist wall. So how is this any different? I'm just having a hard time understanding how is this is any different. I'm not
10: even sure how you get to your first question, to this question that you just asked me. I will say this. A well, border wall, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question. A border wall is ineffective use of taxpayer dollars so it's ineffective of taxpayer dollars dollars that actually went to the military that the last administration the prior president took from the military which took away from schools which took away from military bases that's what that money that he pulled away from uh, to build uh, this wall that he wanted that is ineffective by the way which I just said Uh, just recently see
5: you know I just have to say one thing. Affirmative action is my favorite thing in the world. Here's a cat. Everyone likes cats. Here's a cat. This video is entitled bodyguard cat. Oh, Johnny, don't fall. Don't touch that. Cats are so controlling. That cat Johnny's like, I'm gonna come over here, I'm gonna touch this thing. The cat's like, No, you're not <laughs>
3: <laughs> guardian angel cat.
5: Why do people like cats so much? I don't don't I ask like
3: me
2: cats
3: because yeah,
2: well, Ryan's got a cat, yeah.
3: I got a couple, although well, they're outside only. Because generally speaking, they catch mice when you feel like petting a cat, they'll come on over when you don't. They're like, oh, screw you! I'm gonna go over and do this. So oh, it uh, it's not a terribly demanding animal, and doesn't uh, kill your sheep, kill other people's sheep, bark incessantly, yeah. uh, dig holes, dig up people's gardens. Um,
5: but let me let me ask you, Ryan, it. a cat has nipples. Can you milk a cat?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to know the answer to the question.
5: <laughs> okay, so we talk about Trump, you know, and look, we here's what we need to actually say about Trump as well. And I, I I don't I don't want to be the person to say it, but I'll just do it. His re-election campaign has been revived by this whole Mar-a Lago thing. We all know that. Uh, I think there's a big possibility that this is more political theater. But speaking of political theater, we also need to examine the alternative to trump that is being uh put forward to us and in this case it's ron desantis who has he's committed a blasphemy he has taken blessed saint george floyd's name in vain ladies and gentlemen so i don't know if he's qualified for the white house they
16: would shame people for even leaving their house in april may 2020 And you can't do it. And some people wanted to bury loved ones. They wanted to do this. And the the argument people were making is, well, wait a minute. I can look at the risk of COVID, and it's something that I'm willing to accept because these things mean more to me to be able to bury a loved one or to be able to do things with my family. And and the public health uh, establishment, oh, no, no, you can't make that kind of cost-benefit analysis. Then when the George Floyd riots were happening, they actually wrote a letter with thousands of these people signing it saying, we do not believe that rioting and protesting is, a, is uh, bad for COVID, that you can do it. Go ahead. Because we think it's so important that you have to do it. And then they said, but this doesn't mean we support all protests. If you're protesting lockdown policies or other things, then you can't do that. And that's when I knew these people are a bunch of frauds. I mean, how ridiculous. He, he, he took a saint, He took the left wing
5: saint. And by the way, Brother Martin, uh, the Bishop of Dallas, Texas, canonized Saint uh, George Floyd. He had a Saint George Floyd Mass uh, that I think he personally presided over. And he may he may not even be the only high ranking prelate in the United States to have canonized Saint George Floyd. I think it was done in Chicago too, of course. Uh, maybe not by Subic himself, but one of his lackeys. Uh, so I don't know, man. As I look at it. Brother, I look at DeSantis and I'm like, mm, I like you in Florida. I agree with you, Ryan. But also, look, if you're going to take George Floyd's the blessed, the great uh, name in vain, I, I kind of like that too. <laughs>
4: yeah, for sure. I mean, we want this guy to remain in his prime for sure. Absolutely. We want him to, because even though he's the governor of Florida, he's giving a lot of people hope that, I mean, we're not all crazies, that there is possibilities for governors. I mean, I think... Uh, especially in lockdowns and stuff, uh, Governor DeSantis was taking the first step and being the courageous one to to ignore a lot of the a lot of the the left wing propaganda. And then s- the governor of Texas, for instance, uh, Abbott, uh, was then kind of following in his footsteps. And so, in one sense, it makes sense that there be a governor who 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 risks everything, so to speak, to to go against the liberal agenda, so that other conservative governors can can see that well. There's no establishment consequences to it and then can can continue. And then uh, each state can then give us our freedom, so to speak. But then uh, we also have to weigh the possibility of, well, let's say this guy was actually the, the president of the United States and, and, and gives us all of these freedoms point blank, you know, uh, across all 50 states all at one time. Uh, that's also an, another possibility. Uh, but I think the real thing for us, I mean, to discern if, if, if Governor DeSantis runs in the primary and Trump runs in the primary is i mean sure trump trump gave us a lot of freedoms that obama didn't and would continue to give us a lot of freedoms that biden hasn't um but trump wasn't necessarily perfect and so we have to kind of look at both candidates and see well is there one that gives us even, even more um than what the other one doesn't for instance i mean trump if if he was uh asked would you would you be against the supreme court overturning Ogberfeld, you know gay marriage mm-hmm. i can see trump saying well i believe love is love and I, you know gay marriage doesn't really hurt anybody except you know all that kind of stuff i can see trump saying saying that because he he holds a gay pride gay pride flag and you know except yeah. the lgbt yeah. v- vote That's desantis true. however i can see taking a different different stance a different position
5: can i so, just ask you one question brother like do we all have to pronounce it desantis or can you know, we just say desantis I just Um, want to. I I don't want to. I don't want to be accused of anything.
4: You're you're Texan. You're Texan. You can you can say DeSantis.
5: I want to say Ron DeSantis. That's what I want to say, Ryan. Ron DeSantis.
3: Ron DeSantis. Um, Darn, I'm liking him more and more. I just my my (laughs) natural inclination toward anyone in government, no matter how good they sound, is uh, yeah, I believe it when I see it. I, I don't I don't buy into it. So it's it's not what we what they seem, and there's always something. No one's going to be absolutely perfect. So even if he is genuine, though, the situation in D.C., the civil service there, the the, the whole apparatus is so completely corrupted. And like, so we're talking about the FBI just a little while ago. Obviously, the FBI is an organization has a lot of people in it. Obviously, there are people there who are competent who want to do their job. It's also loaded up with people like some of the individuals you've been shown with. And the same thing is true with every other branch of the federal government. You have, um, you know, so much, so much like What in four years, even you say he only gets four years, what can he realistically do to help? At the very best, you can say if he's truly honest and he truly is on the level, he'll try to limit the evil. Right. Yeah. That, that's, I think, the best that we can say for him. I wish that I could say, you know, hey, we have a great crusader. He's gonna, you're going to have someone who's going to restore public order. It's not going to happen. Um, even if he is authentic, the best that he can do is merely limit the evil. Um, it, you know, if he's not, it's not all, in fact, all a show. And, there's, and I'm also firmly convinced, too, that when every president that gets, uh, you know, like the first or second day in, in the Oval Office, um, he gets in a room and he's shown a video of the Kennedy assassination from an angle that nobody has ever seen before. And then they turn and say, any questions? <laughs>
5: so. I think that'd be a pretty effective in-briefing of any new uh, commander in chief. You know, and the question is, I mean, this is, a, this is actually a pretty good question though. Given the power of the technology that the Leviathan wields, does it really matter if it's Ron DeSantis or DeSantis Scientist? Uh, or Trump, or anyone that we uh, ostensibly like. I mean, look, these people now have the capabilities to target our own DNA, to send out weapons that are bioweapons targeting our own unique DNA, and they
9: talk about it in the open. So to be clear, I think one of the things we're talking about here is that there are now weapons under development and developed that are designed to target specific people. Right, that, that's what this is, uh, where you, you can actually take someone's DNA, take you know, their, their medical profile, and you can target a biological weapon that will, that will kill that person or take them off the battlefield or make them inoperable. So you can't have a discussion about this without talking about privacy and uh, commercial data. And the protection of commercial data, because expectations of privacy have degraded over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, young folks actually have very little expectation of privacy. That's what the polling and the, the data show. Uh, and, and people will very rapidly spit into a cup and send it into 23andMe and get really interesting data about their background. And guess what? Their DNA is now owned by a private company and can be sold off without very, with very little uh, intellectual property protection or, or privacy protection.
5: Well, it's interesting, James. He's talking about twenty-three and Me, the Mormons uh, spitting in a cup. You know, the the example that he didn't use was forced testing, forced DNA scraping up your nose into your brain,
2: PCR testing. Yeah, he's he's actually right, and of course, he didn't use that as an example because that, in a sense, is still something that can trigger people. Although the reality is there are people out there who are so eager to uh, do well by their body, you know, using the words of the so-called scientists, Fauci and the others. They're so eager to do well by their body that they will forego anything closely related to protection of privacy. You know, and he's right. Uh, these youth, these younger uh, generation, they don't have any expectation whatsoever. And I'm saying any at all. They have zero expectation about privacy, I remember years ago arguing uh, in front of uh, some college students, telling them, you have a right to privacy and you have to, first and foremost, protect that right. And I was met with, well, if I haven't done anything wrong, then why should I be so concerned about having people access my private lives? You know? And so of course, now you have a faction of those people today w- wondering why the government is tracking them you know, when they don't wanna take a vaccine shot. Well, this is the end result of decades long. And he's absolutely right. It took them mere decades to knock down that whole idea of privacy by targeting the young people with technology. When you give people technology uh, and you use technology as a bait, people will always say, you know what, this is easier for me. If I just do this, then I'll get this. And so that has become what has helped people to to uh to put down their walls to put to lower their guards mm-hmm. and now they're accepting this new thing as something that is revolutionary and then also provides them a a particular service of ease yeah
5: I'm loving the comments. You guys in the live chat, are the. this is the best audience on the internet. I don't care. I'll put you up against anybody. I don't care about anyone's numbers. I don't care about viewership. I don't care about engagement. Mm-hmm. You people who watch the rundown are absolutely the finest people in the world. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, then I take back everything I just said. And I subject you to another cat video where you go and... Uh, subscribe. Where are my kitten videos? Where's my mean cat? There's a mean kitty in New York. Here he is.
3: What an absolute brute. What a brute. I would expect that in New York, actually. I said we
5: just get a New York cat. We just get an NFL kicker and just boot it off that tee. Do cats take on the personality where they live? Because that is so New York. (laughs) Just a brute. Just a rude. Okay. Well, here's a kitty mafia. These must be Italian cats. I don't know.
2: serious
4: oh my goodness. italian cats would be singing songs together in the middle of the night keeping everybody awake i don't know if yeah <laughs> that's it that's it yeah, yeah, yeah who knows i don't know why people like cats i, I hate, hate
2: cats. <laughs> good at Actually, our-
5: i take that back though i met two cats today and they're low they're like hypoallergenic cats i have a, i have a, a allergy to cats which i think is a grace really I think <laughs> oh, we should all same, be allergic same here I, I have an allergy to cats,
2: so yeah.
5: I well I met two cats today, James the Lesser, that uh are are like bred for people like us. Oh I had I experienced no reaction to this cat. None. Oh wow. And I had this cat like sitting right next to me for a couple hours. It's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh hey, did you guys know that Dr. E. Michael Jones just said that just, just said the the craziest thing on YouTube that I've ever heard him say? They
17: accused Ratzinger, after he resigned, the resignation they brought about, after he resigned, they accused him of fahnenflucht, fahnenflucht, desertion, desertion, desertion under fire. I think they were right. I think they were right because at the beginning of his papacy, he told Zabal, or Zabal quotes in his book, but he said, pray that when the wolves come that I don't flee. Well, he fled. There, in an unprecedented fashion, okay, he yes. fled, and, and that led directly to the papacy of Francis, which I think everyone concedes is a complete train wreck. You must be, uh, how can I say this, do you feel vindicated? I, mean, I C.D. Jackson once said that uh, Stalin was the greatest salesman the United States of America had. So, I'm going to say Pope Francis is the greatest salesman the SSPX ever had.
13: (laughs) Well, I don't know if you're up to date on this one, Michael, but the SSPX is also guilty of fun and flu.
5: Okay, I need to clarify. I
13: don't think what he said is crazy insofar
5: as I disagree with it. I just think I never thought in my lifetime, let's go all the way around on this one, Brian James and brother. I never experienced this this thought in my life that we would have Doctor E. Michael Jones say to Bishop Williamson or a prelate of the SSPX or, or utter the words "You must feel vindicated because of Traditionis Custodes." Ryan, is this is this the biggest? I don't know. Uh, Catholic news. It's not the biggest Catholic news, but it's pretty big, right?
3: Given that historically Jones has always been a po- uh, he's never had a problem with the new mass he's always been um, critical of tra- <clears throat> traditionalists and the, the society in particular so it's it's kind of a big uh, turnaround for him I don't know if um, he finally had a wake-up call or, or what the reason was for it I don't well, know and,
5: and to know. be fair it's he didn't say and I, I want to be I want to be fair to Dr. Jones too he's been on the show and maybe he'll come on the rundown soon. Uh, he didn't say you are vindicated. He said you must feel vindicated. So I don't know if it's strong evidence that he's turned a corner on the society or not. So anyway, sorry, Ryan, I cut We're you off. But I just Trump to Trump be fair. a
3: favorable interview. I mean, it's not a. I don't think it's a bridge too far to say that he's at least thinking positively about uh in, in that direction. Anyway, but again, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know Jones at all. I don't know. I've just uh, you know, read, read some of his books and his articles and noted his comments on, on traditionalism in the past. The fact that he had Williamson not at all, I think, is a big sign. At least something's turning in his head. It's
5: something, right? Yeah, fun and flukes, James the Lesser. Uh, thoughts on that? Uh, last week, the rundown took a week off, so you could say that the rundown committed fun and flukes last week, I would say.
2: <laughs> well, certainly speaking, absolutely. That's a bit of a fun and fluke there. Uh, we're glad to be back. And uh, my my opinion on this is, uh, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, it's pretty big for someone like E. Michael Jones. E. Michael Jones has been uh, what we consider the uh, the you know the, the back itch that you couldn't quite scratch that was always there, and uh, he he's now uh, basically it seems uh, that he is heading in a new direction. And this direction basically is seeing what's happened uh since the uh papal abdication of pope benedict you know uh, mm-hmm. like he was mentioning you know with, with francis now as that new person we're dealing with even voices like father solstorff back then when 2007 Summon partificum came out he was saying now there's no need for the society and people kept telling him well first of all the society are the ones who are actually pleading that the mass be for everybody not just for them, you know, the mass be for everybody. And then and, and, and that they uh priests have, have the right to say that that mass. Of course, creating it creating uh, you know, or being in that situation, one could have assumed, well, you know, it's now over. But we always knew that there were modernists in Rome. We always knew that, right? And so it's it took the, the you know the uh, the right events to sort to, to bring this all back up to the surface again. And that came when Benedict abdicated and the rise of uh, Francis, you know, who now realizes this has gotten too out of control. We need to actually di- disband traditional, uh, traditionalism in general. So, of course, now people who aren't the likely friends of the society uh, and of the light Mass in general are coming out and saying, wait a second. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've seen Simone Potipicum in my diocese. I've been to one or two light Masses or my son enjoys going to Latin Mass, and I've seen changes in him, and you're mm-hmm. telling me all of a sudden now this is going to be thrown out, and this is where people are. People are doing just as Michael E. Jones is doing. And honestly, I did not know uh, he was at least thinking in this in this way. But it's nice to see uh, yeah. that he's at least coming around. I know he mentioned to the uh, bishop that uh, they had been, or rather on, on, on air, he mentioned that he and the bishop had been in, prior communication at least one or two times uh, before. So at least there's a dialogue going going on between, uh, between the two. And this is the kind of real ecumenism. Uh,
9: well,
5: or, I, you know, real, actually, real. I, I think it goes deeper than that, James. I, sure. I, I, I've I been told uh, that Bishop Williamson, when he was in Winona and the rector of the SSPX seminary, that he would invite – Dr. Jones to come and lecture to seminarians, and he would even warn them. He's like, "Look, we have an enemy amongst us. He <laughs> not, doesn't like us, but he's good on certain. He's good on history. He's good on philosophy. He's good on certain things, and we're going to roll out the red carpet for him. Right. So I think that they those two have been locked horns for decades. Uh, oh, it, and you're it, right; it but, is. But that's the beauty to be
2: together. This is ecumenism at its best. You know, this is yeah. this is. <laughs> This is what we ought to be seeing out of this, right? So, yeah,
5: yeah. Well, uh, brother Martin, <laughs> tough question for you. Did Pope Benedict commit faunenflucht? Did he abandon us while we're all taking fire, and now he's just chilling?
4: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> That's not even a serious question. <laughs> That's not even a serious question. But here, here's here. okay. Let's talk about the Jews. Is anybody, are you guys going to stop me? I, I'm looking for a video. <laughs>
5: seem to Hello. be having some uh, technical difficulties we've lost the connection with brother martin i hope we get him back soon i don't know ryan i don't know what happened uh something about red sea and pedestrians and uh wow okay that went
4: uh that went south
2: yeah he committed <laughs> I was talk about
4: just dinner like center meals.
2: <laughs> 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 that's fun and fluked fun right. and
5: fluked oh man brother martin i'm putting you in timeout.
3: <laughs>
5: oh man well um, one thing okay. about benedict
3: though i i think it hasn't been said enough because uh benedict believes all the same things that uh francis believes when you get down to it um yeah. he he just has a different aesthetic True. and True. he has a different uh approach to it all but it all goes to the exact same place and so um, the kind of romanticizing about Benedict, it's more of, oh, well, at least we had our traditional masses. We weren't under fire when Benedict was there. But now that he's gone and, you know, Francis, and obviously Francis is worse, but that doesn't mean the problems with Benedict just vanish or go away. Well, and that's, and that's, that, a and that's, a, that's a really good point. And, and you
5: know what, if folks, if folks watch that entire uh, hour between Dr. Jones and His Excellency Bishop Williamson, they will see that Jones very clearly sees that problem. He lays it out articulately, logically. He, ta- he's t- he starts from the f- from the framing with uh, with Pope Benedict. And, um, and Bishop Williamson comes in and he sort of like tacks on this idea of, yes, he's a, he's a brilliant computer, I think he says. He's a brilliant mind. It's just that the software, <laughs> controlling that computer is just malformed. He has a modernist software con- controlling a brilliant computer, and he just he just can't think. The man can't think. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting insight from uh, Bishop Williamson. Now those two did disagree as to the extent. You know, Bishop Williamson wanted to say basically that that although he has this malformed mind, uh, and I'll kick it back to you, Ryan, uh, that that Pope Benedict he is a modernist because of his malformation, but he has a good heart and he has good intentions and he wanted to do right by the Latin mass. And he wanted to undo some of the work that he had done when he was an abject, absolute anti-Thomas modernist at the council. Uh, And Jones would, you know, kind of was unrelenting on that point. was like, nope, he's the same guy. You know, you're just not seeing it. It was, it was fascinating. It was electrifying. It was must-see TV. Uh, I don't know if you're watching the rundown. Go watch that instead. Why are you watching us? <laughs>
3: right. Um, maybe I'm somewhere in between. I'm not sure. As I'd say, he is the same guy from the '60s, except that he he does have a wider heart. I would say. I, I think you can see changes in uh, in, in Benedict's approach as, as Cardinal Ratzinger in uh, you know in certain respects. One is. Uh, you know, early on, uh, his work, his book, Feast of Faith, which um, Ignatius Press published, I think it's from 1982, unless I'm mistaken. There's the interview he gave after the 1984 Extraordinary Synod, where basically they all came together to pat themselves on the back about Vatican II. And Ratzinger said, well, not so fast. There's still a ton of problems that nobody seems to be noticing. Then, um, and again, Spirit of the Liturgy and then other writings that he wrote in this regard where, you know, he, he clearly wasn't looking at the reform as being, and actually that would be one place where at least given Francis's public statements, um, he wouldn't be in agreement on the historical point, obviously, because, you know, he challenges the uh, the notion that the liturgy we got was actually the liturgy the council wanted, but he's still committed to, the, it's essentially the same program that uh, and you, you could see it all through his works, even his more recent ones, when he became Pope, he wrote a, a little uh, life of Christ, a, kind of a theological, scriptural, exegetical work, which actually was an enjoyable work, but it still has, you know, it has a lot of problematic things. Because, again, you look at the, you know, the whole theological milieu he comes out of. He comes out okay. in that whole time with, you know, with your De Lubac, with your von Balthasar, with Rahner, with right. all these people. And the fact that he broke from some of them later, you know, because he wasn't as extreme. It's the trains still go into the same place. He's That's just right. on a different stop.
5: It's, it's the same philosophy as conservatives or just liberals in slow motion. James, I know you want to get in on this. I know you want to kind of drive the point home that, you know, uh, here's what here's the problem. You know, a lot of the Benevi contests that I know, they want to hang their hat on. OK, Francis can't be pope because he's bad. And Benedict was so much better. But the, the truth is that upon closer review, I'm not so sure that that's true. What say you? You're muted, James. Yes, it wasn't me again. It was James the Lesser.
2: Okay, okay, okay. Settle down there, Mike. uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, And we have a lot of evidence on on this. And if you're skeptical about the evidence, all you have to do is go back to Rarate Celli's blog entries from around that time, from 2013 uh, back, maybe even into and uh five uh when he became he, he became pope, you can kind of see how um various uh, uh times much like we we sit and we scratch our heads and wonder when we hear Baron talking to a Jew and may, saying basically well you know uh you know Catholicism is a privileged way and we pull our hair out uh mm-hmm. and we wonder well how could he say that when he's in the presence of someone like that who needs to hear the truth. Right. So in that same vein, and even much more confusing, Benedict had people in his service who he was continually telling, Hey, you know, there's no need for you to convert. You know, your place is where you are right now. Um, and a dear friend of his, too, uh, who was working in the Vatican, uh, as I think she I believe she was a, a Lutheran, and he told her she didn't have to convert. And these are the views is he was holding as sitting, sitting as Pope after he had um, written uh, the motu proprio on the Latin Mass, you know. Yeah. So, and there are various uh, there are other things you can draw from that. You know, the, you know the fact that as a Pope he walked into uh, the, uh, the the Muslims, uh, what do you call it, uh, mosques or whatever it is, and he took his shoes off because he was standing on sacred space. The Pope of the Catholic Church, the yeah. one true faith, walked into a mosque and took his shoes off. Because he was told he was standing on sacred space, can you envision that in your mind, people? You know, so of course, in a sense, Ryan is actually right. Um, Francis and Benedict are pretty much the same people. My argument against Benedict has always been: well, he's kind of a, a genteel, slow, you know, results kind of guy. He's the reason why the the other faction of Vatican II didn't run the gamut when they had the chance he's the one who slowed them down but still knowing that in the end they were all going to be arriving in the same place you know so you have benedict now possibly in the position of doing certain things and people right around him realizing hey benedict you're just moving way too slow we need somebody who can ramp this up and you know we, we need francis and then in comes francis which is why he said continually even till today Francis and I and I'm speaking uh, you know uh, loosely here but he says something to the effect of Francis and I are of the same mind we're of the same thought uh, you know he, he's doing God's will or whatever it is he he said he hasn't come out and said anything that's uh, negative or disparaging toward Francis not that he would but there's a way to say something without saying it in a very dry cut out way I mean he's German, so he knows how to do that, but he, he hasn't done that in, in this instance.
5: Let's follow that logic. Hold that thought. Pope emeritus, whatever that is, right, Ratzinger, saying that he's of the same mind as Pope Bergoglio. Who else is of the same mind of Pope Bergoglio?
17: And I would like to ask you a very clear question.
14: After this you do you believe that sodomy should be considered a gray
6: um,
14: I do not know what the Senate will bring. We will now listen to the people of God, what they express. I start getting in reports, you know, the General and the Senate. And so reading all of that, in September we make a first draft for the Continental Meetings, which will take place. I think that, uh, uh, first of all, I would never consider sexuality separated from love.
8: The Bible has taught, mm-hmm. and that has taught for 2,000 years, that sovereignty is a sin, an abomination. A
17: mm-hmm.
14: But the Bible also said that we should stay with a woman who is an idol. The Bible has said, that uh, the sun turns around the earth. So the Bibleists have to get into confession to
17: no.
6: So the fundamental the spiritual teaching so this the is not
17: way. a the theological...
14: No, 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 no. It uh, is... Uh, I know that I am in full agreement with Professor. Thank you
5: Cardinal John Claude Hollerich is the president of the commission of the Bishop's Conference of the European Union and has held that post since March of 2018. He attacks Holy Scripture, Holy Writ in order to justify the grave sin of sodomy, which calls out for the justice of almighty God. Uh, he does so supposedly in the same mind. I am of the same mind as Pope Francis. James Lesser has just reported that Pope Benedict claims that he's of the same mind as Pope Francis Ladies and gentlemen, the Lavender Mafia have been in charge for much longer than anyone is really
4: prepared to admit. Brother Martin. When I was in my previous community, I went to a, a weekday mass that was celebrated by a priest that was uh, filling in for a priest that was usually at the parish. Of course, Jesuit. And in, during his homily, it was actually it was during the Easter season. Instead, so we're reading from the Acts of the Apostles. So, of course, what is this homily on? The fact that in the second half of the Acts of the Apostles, it centers exclusively on the, 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 the missionary acts of, of St. Paul. And so his homily tended to focus on the, on, on the question of if this is an, indeed the in, uh, inspired word of Almighty God, why did the, act, the the book of the Acts of the Apostles go from, well, the Acts of the Apostles to just strictly Paul's missionary endeavors? And his conclusion was the fact that because it, it, it ends in exclusively Paul's missionary endeavors, that this wasn't exactly the inspired word of God. That was it. That was, that yeah. was, that was his homily, is, is that uh, there was at least one book in Scripture that wasn't the inspired word of God. And yep. then he went on and continued mass. That was it. And this priest continues to function. And there I was sitting in my previous community. And then I went through everything that I went through. Uh, and then because I like the traditional, traditional Latin mass, I got kicked out. That priest is still fu- functioning who questions scripture, being the divinely inspired word of God. And, and here I am getting getting letters from my own bishop of the, of the diocese I grew up in saying that I can't I even mean. have a, a prayer room in my own house. <laughs> you know, it's 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 absolutely absurd. It the the, the degree that the church has as stooped to is absolutely absurd. That it can't, it really the people that are in authority have zero credibility um, when when they're when they're attacking things like sacred scripture, the, the ecumenical councils of, of the past, besides Vatican II, of course, because they'll they'll never attack that the sacred cow. Um, but that's but that's just it. It, it. it well there there was there was a, a bishop. Who who in, at a US USCCB meeting, um, in regards to Cardinal McCarrick said, you know he 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 puts into question apostolic credibility. To be honest, I think that's been, that's been in question since Vatican II apostolic credibility because if you're going to deny such things as as the, um, the the fact that Scripture is divinely inspired, you're putting into, into question everything that the, that the apostles and the successors have ever have ever put forth for us to believe. Yeah, but but do
5: you, do you see like the magnitude Ryan taking his hit real quick off camera? Do you see the magnitude though of the lengths and the depths that these unholy prelates are willing to go, Ryan, to justify sodomy? They will kick holy scripture to the curb to justify yeah. sodomy. I mean, at this, like what further proof do we need that these people are all apostates?
3: Well, is it's uh really they've kept they've kicked scripture the curve since the uh the 40s or 50s whenever was pius the 12th said oh well you can have uh the the tools of higher criticism namely all the things that liberal protestants came up with that emptied their pews and caused liberal protestants to deny the sufficiency of scripture to teach the truth in itself right that yeah <clears throat> on their on their reckoning of it all right yeah. so and then we adopted all those tools, or I should say that the, the academics adopted all those tools. It became standard in the seminaries after Vatican II. Absolutely. Like, all you learned was how scripture is not true, basically. You look at, um, I might have the name wrong, R.C. Gabler, I think it was. He was a liberal Protestant, and he joined the Catholic Biblical Association. So his Protestant friend said, uh, the, the, the Catholic Biblical Association? What are you doing that for? And he said, it's the only place a liberal Protestant feels at home these days. And because that it's become this kind of monolithic thing, you know, the denial of um, creation starting at that one in favor of evolution, even though there's, you know, you're you're working on uh, there's no proof for it when you get down to actual scientific proof of it. So you have that you've got uh, so many different things where they've denied scripture because it was convenient on this or that, or they misuse and abuse the scripture mm-hmm. on this or that. I mean, even right there, the, the uh, cardinal in question, what's he doing? He's saying, well, it also says to stoned adulterers and it says to do this. We met. So you have male and female. He created them. You have um, the relating the history in Genesis of what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah on account of their sins. But even if you you did want to play this stupid game, oh, well, it didn't mean, you know, sodomy it didn't mean homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. Fine. Have that. Let's go to Paul in Romans 125, yeah. where Paul is laying down what exactly the, the, the sin is and why people did it. So you got that. You have to deny that. And, and But he's misusing even the Old Testament. He's pulling from the Jewish law, which was very clearly laid out to govern a specific people at a certain period of time. That's what the law was. And when the full revelation came from Christ and now you have a universal people, you no longer need one law for one specific people. Now you have the full revelation of the moral law in Christ through the church. And and that's how it's proliferated. And it was that hierarchy of that church. Paul himself, as he's sta- establishing churches, he writes to the, the, the Catholics in Rome and he tells them uh, why people turned to unnatural vices mm-hmm. and, and he lays it out there. This is not some obscure thing in the Jewish ceremonial law that that properly interpreted doesn't affect us. This is spe- you know, spe- a general moral principle of what's intrinsically evil that can't be done. And why people turn to it? He gives the the yeah. reason for it, uh, for the whole mystery of iniquity, right there. Well, and, so and
5: even even Father Ribberger uh, d- describes that uh, that that particular vice is so unnatural and so disgusting that demons don't even witness it; they flee from it. It's so appalling mm-hmm. to them. What we need, ladies and gentlemen, is to is to wash our eyes out a little bit. We need to hear from a good and holy bishop, and it actually kind of relates to the the topic that we're talking about, insofar as. Wow, if Pius the Twelfth is writing bad encyclicals, if Pius the Twelfth is pushing the Big Bang, if Pius the Twelfth, then what are the set of a contest? What are they gonna say about all that? How far back do we have to go? Archbishop Lefebvre, it's it said, and I don't know if it's true today. You can confirm that or or clarify it, that your excellency was very much on his side of endorsing the nineteen sixty-two missile. Uh, it seems, looking back, this was more of a fight between uh, the recognize and resist philosophy and the set of ecotis, uh point of view. Uh, number one, do you think that that's do you think that all of that is true? And what do you think his excellency His Excellency would have done today, uh, looking back, with um, you know the the resurgence of a return to the pre 1955 form.
13: Oh, my. You, got, got, It's not one question. It's a kind of packet of questions. <laughs> but uh, firstly, I don't think I don't. The question of liturgy doesn't have anything to do directly with sedificantism. It's what is true is that many of those who believe that the sea is vacant, sedificantists, take taking a strong line on the papacy, such as these popes are not genuine popes also take a strong line on the liturgy in other words to go back to 1962 is not enough you need to go back before 1955 but there's no direct connection between salivacantism and the question of the liturgy uh, it just it happens that many taking an extreme line in the one also take an extreme line in the other uh, that's part of an answer to your quote to your composite question what else was there in the question I've forgotten already?
5: Yes, well the first part was is it true that uh, you were a strong supporter at the time of the 62? And then uh, does do you do you
13: retain that position today? Uh, that's fair enough as a question. Um, the the, Arch- the reason why Archbishop Lefebvre settled on 1962 is that there were reforms in 62, 64. 67, and finally 69, Uh, the Archbishop himself went along with the reforms on the grounds that the Pope is the master of the liturgy in the Latin rite of the Universal Church. It depends upon the Pope. And, And the Pope apparently wanted all of those reforms, 62, 64, 67, 69, when in the when the archbishop himself uh, prayed the liturgy of 67 he realized that his faith was being diminished mm. he realized that the um, omitting all of these signs of the cross in the mass for instance it was just one little instance and praying the various changes that were already pretty far gone in 67 he said that he himself came back to 64. he founded the seminary in 1970, uh, the, the seminary began in 1970, and he began it on his personal experience with 64. The seminarians, a few years later, a few years into the 70s, the seminarians uh, <laughs> made, made it clear, one of them hid some of these lecterns. I remember his name, I, I won't dare quote it, uh, but he, he came from a long way away from Europe, let's just say that. Uh, he hid one of the lectures on which the the sixty seven the sixty four um, lessons used to be read. He hid one of them. Now the Archbishop didn't usually give way to rebels. He was not a rebel himself. Uh, believe it or not, he was not a rebel, not by any any stretch of the imagination. He was obedient absolutely to what he thought was the will of God through coming through the church. But coming through the church in the sixties was not all what coming from God. Therefore, he himself uh, settled on 64, and the seminarians made him understand, <laughs> gave him to understand that they thought 64 was too far, too far. And he must have thought, well, this is the Holy Ghost speaking through my ragamuffin seminarians. So he came back to 62, and that's where he settled. But his his principle was: if 62 is not essentially against the faith, or is not diminishing the faith then that's the latest that had the the approval from rome therefore if i combine what i myself realize is against the faith that's unacceptable with what the pope has approved and that's at least at the latest 1962 then combining those two principles 62 is where i settle and he settled on 62. Um, but notice that for the Holy Week, he himself never abandoned the knocking on the door of Palm Sunday, which I think was not was was even eliminated by Bonini in fifty five. So and there was something else I forget the the second confession the Archbishop never eliminated the confession just before the Communion, and so um, even he was not completely loyal to sixty two.
5: Uh, for those interested in that interview, it is on the main Restoring the Faith channel. You can check it out. It's almost two hours long. I can't believe his excellency gave me that much time. Lots of ground covered. To put a finer point on, I, I did ask him the follow-up, are you okay with pre-55 priests? He said yes. Um, let's. There was a lot to unpack there, Ryan. I think it's, it's probably worthy of going around and everyone just kind of reacting to whatever you'd like to react to because he said a lot, uh, either on the topic of SETI versus recognize and resist, uh, or the liturgy itself, or the philosophy of Archbishop Lefebvre in sort of settling on the 72 for the reasons that he did.
4: Muted.
3: Whoops, I muted it locally. Um, it's always something of an inconsistency I've I've noticed with uh, LeFreb and, and how the society continues to celebrate, for example, Holy Week, where the, they will incorporate certain pre fifty five elements, uh, such as you'll you know <clears throat> you still have the knocking at the door by the subdeacon with the the foot of the cross, or again um, the the blessing of the palms is done facing ad still and not as the so called restorata. I mean that, that's about as accurate as uh, <laughs> that, never mind. <laughs> the um, I'm going to get in trouble, but um, the the whole the pre the post 55 reforms they direct you to to say the um, to, to do the blessing of the palms facing the people, and again they also d- direct you to say the, the priest to say the Our Father facing mm-hmm. the people. That's how the rubrics direct it, and I don't know anyone that celebrates 62 that does it that way. Maybe you said maybe some diocesan places just looking through a book and oh, OK, and maybe they learn better. Who knows? But that's uh, so that it's a bit of an inconsistency. But it, I think it also shows, too, that, you know, maybe whether that's good or bad depends on, on your perspective. But LeFreb was not already some crazy firebrand, you know, reactionary. It's just going to do. He, he didn't even want to get started with the whole thing. They, they had to knock on his door and tell him you have to lead us. Because he wasn't willing to go out and do anything himself. He was just going to retire in an apartment and you know, I'll call it good. Uh, everything's going to heck. And, and he doesn't because the seminar gets to see him all right, knocks on his door and says, you've got to get out here and, and lead us. So but, you know, he, and he, when he made his approach, it was all right, well, I'll do 64 because it didn't seem that it was that far gone to him you know, until later. And I I think that that should be interesting, especially for, you know, the left, oh, he's this terrible reactionary, or on the right that think he was always that way. It doesn't really matter where you come at it. It's an interesting fact, I think, that that he evolved as time went along.
5: Yeah, and I I found that actually to be very interesting, James, especially, you know, the idea that uh, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre was such a prayerful man and he was always seeking to see if God was... Almighty God was speaking to him, even through his lowly seminarians, you know, um, and, and you know, he he measured by their fruits, you shall know them. In praying the 67 for some time, it, it did seem like his face was diminishing. He had to go backwards, wasn't sure how far to go back, did settle on the 62. Now, a lot of SSPXers, James, at least in my subjective experience, are pretty dogmatic about the 62. They say, Archbishop Lefebvre liked the 62, and therefore it's the 62 it will be. And there's no questions asked about it. Bishop Williamson kind of casts a little bit of doubt on that.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, if anyone knows Archbishop Lefebvre and his understanding of what he thought his role was, is basically not one of reactionism. He's not a reactionary. And so, of course, it took people to find him in retirement to give him more of the impetus he needed to go out and do what he needed to do. You know, we, we know that he has seminarians who were, who were hiding uh, the lectionary from him, you know, because they wanted him to say a different uh, uh, a mass or, 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 or readings at mass rather uh, to use a different set of readings. And he, after a while, you know, he, he thought about it. And so, uh, you know, a, a reactionary is not one who just says, this is it, and this is what it's going to be because this is the way I'm doing it. It's actually one who contemplates and who takes in uh, all these all these uh, questions into deep uh, prayer. And you know, a lot of us are coming to this understanding. You know, we've reflected on what the 1962 has done for us as a culture. You know, as traditionalists within this culture, within the the, the modern the modern world that we're living in, we definitely need to go back even further. You know, and some of us are now arriving in that 54 conclusion, pre-55 pre, pre 55 conclusion, you know, and I couldn't agree with uh, the uh, Bishop more. You know, I don't think Archbishop Lefebvre would have held fast to 62 if he had lived to this day. You know, mm-hmm. he would have had to reconsider some of his positions, you know, and, you know, that's there's a lot to unpack there. There's a, there's a lot more you're probably thinking about <laughs> for what I just said.
5: Yeah, no, I mean, and there's and there's more to say as well, Brother Martin, because you know I, maybe my my framing of the question to His Excellency was a little bit unfair, uh, but it does seem like the historical retelling of the lore, let's say the legend, is that the the so supposedly the reason that the Sandborns and and uh, you know split and and became Sedi Vicontis was over the fifty the pre fifty five versus the sixty two. That's what a lot of people claim. That's even, I think, what Bishop Sanborn claims. Um, but but there's more to the story, it seems. I don't think it was as cut as dry and dry as that, at least according to Bishop Williamson, who would have been a contemporary of, of these discussions.
4: And I don't think Sanborn's group would ever let it just remain as that, precisely because even after the split, they continue to develop more and more opinions that are separate from the SSPX. Um that are unique to them that ultimately there there becomes a, a lot of differences between sspx and sandboard's group so that we can't just say even though the split may have been just because of the pre-55 missile you can't uh, the difference between the two is more than just the, the pre-55 missile however um i agree with with what williamson said on your on your interview precisely saying you know this isn't this isn't the uh this shouldn't be the straw that breaks the camel's back so to speak it shouldn't be the, the be-all end-all of, of what traditionalism means which which missile you you choose uh, but nonetheless there are very good reasons to, to choose the pre my missile and and Bishop Williamson says that these these reasons are particularly in uh, I mean prayerful and re- regarding prayer and, and and what the liturgy teaches us about our faith
8: hmm.
4: and and that's exactly what liturgy is supposed to do I mean from the from from our very birth, the first prayers we learn are from our mothers, and, and the, the very first prayers we learn teach us what we believe. And that's exactly what the liturgy is supposed to do. It's to teach us what we believe, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law, of, the law of prayer is the law of belief. And so if a certain form of the Mass helps you understand what it is to be a Catholic, what to believe to be a Catholic, well, that, that form, well, it, it, it's good. It's Catholic. And if there's a form that simply does not do any of that, doesn't teach you anything about what it means to be a Catholic, like the Novus Ordo, at least for me, from my experience of growing up as a Novus Ordo Catholic, you know, it, it, it should get, give us great great pause. Um, so I think I think Bishop Williamson is, is correct in saying, you know, and I think personally he accepts the 62 and he, and he does the 62, but he's open to those who who appreciate the pre-55. I, I think he's, he's, he's good to accept to, to be kind of broad um, in this acceptance as opposed to the state of a context to say, no, just this or just this, you know, just the pre-55 or just the 55, uh, like the CMRIs, or just the 62, like the SSPX. I think, I think as traditionalists, uh, we need to be a little bit more broad precisely because, um, I mean, th- these rights are, are traditional in the sense that they're not Novus Ordo. The Novus Ordo is explicitly an, a new theology. Um, but precisely be- – and, and – I mean, so that we can talk and and, and discuss precisely what helps us to, to pray better. And and I think ultimately, my personal opinion is that the pre fifty-five liturgy will uh, ultimately triumph as that which teaches us better what, what is Catholic theology. Mm. Um so, yeah. Yeah,
5: I think I find it to be one of the great ironies of our time that it's the ecclesia day communities who have got largely gone pre-fifty-five, especially during Holy Week, Ryan. Uh, but but some of some of them, especially in the smaller like outlying parishes, are getting away with it year round. I think it would be it be a good tactical thing for the SSPX to do to just go ahead and return to the pre fifty five because I think that would blunt the main argument that the set of Contest now are now making retrospectively, looking back and saying, "Look how right we are." You know, all of you are getting on the pre fifty five thing, and this is why we split from from Monsignor Lefebvre. That's not why they split over Monsignor Lefebvre in my estimation or in bishop williams's estimation so i think you know just 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 mute that arg- argument make it a moot point by everyone just getting on the pre-55 bandway. what do you think
3: uh, it works for me because i frankly the the principle we should be applying here is we're going back before bunini was in a position to touch anything that's right that's that's really what the principle is is that everything that he his entire approach and those he studied under because i mean obviously bunini was just cutting his teeth um, in, in the years leading up to the 55 reform. And the older modernists were already there working on that. You know, his contributions are less than they would be, say, to, you know, when he's running the concilium. Then, he, then he's in the place to carry out what was done in 55. But irrespective of that, that whole mindset that came out of the World War II generation toward liturgy, that has to be, you know, completely cut out and uprooted from the liturgical life of the church. And really the best way to do that is go back. You just look at... um So many elements of the pre-55, which it's not even just the Holy Week. Granted, they're minor. And and we're not saying you're not as trad if you go to a 62 Mass. We're not saying stay home and don't go to Mass if your Mass is 62. We're not (laughs) saying these things so that people don't get the wrong idea. We're not saying that we're better than you because we go to a 55 Mass. No, We're saying that the pre-55 is better, and this is why we should aspire to it. And you look at, for example, it doesn't even add that much time to the mass, but it's like, oh, we got to trim some time off it. Um, the collect, so you have, you have the collect uh, or the ratio that t- takes place after the Gloria. There are additional ones that would be set. And sometimes they're directed to be specific ones, say, during Advent and during Lent and, okay. you know, against, uh, you know, pray, you know, to, to deliver the church from persecution to, uh, for Our Lady's protection of the church, for the Pope. Very specifically. And then further, it would continue also at the secret prayer, um, which uh, concludes the offertory and also the post communion. There would be additional prayers that you would say, uh, much as, like, at a weekday mass, you would get a commemoration because in 62 they dropped commemorations on Sundays. So, uh, you know, there's, that's just like one of, of many different elements that just add to the, the beauty of it, add to, you know, the whole idea that we should be praying for the situation of the church in the world. And we're mm-hmm. going to do it three times at very specific times, prayers written in that, that context, you know, in terms of like the secret prayer, which yeah. is, which is, um, you know, not because it's secret, but, uh, secret to me, right. It, it, um, you know, it's because it's said in a, in, you know, in a low voice and I forget there, there's an explanation you can find in, in gear and guarantee and people like that, if you want to uh, that, that'll lay it out more clearly. I can't remember the proper explanation for the secretum at that point, but it doesn't matter that, you know, it's it said and it concludes the offertory. It's tailored for that very specifically. And then you look at uh, the octaves, you know, you need to be able to, you know, you come on to a feast through fasting. Right. And, and there's some type of uh, penance, you know, the vigil of a feast, you, you would always wear violet and then you'd have the feast day and then you come off the feast. Right. And you have the the octave mm-hmm. and then that octave would continue. You had it, it's so many of them during the year and they weren't terribly oppressive. And you had obviously for for a lady and you also had for the ascension, for transfiguration. You have them for, um, you know, so many different feasts during the year and they're completely stripped away in 62 except for the christmas octave and and the easter octave i believe and there might be one more that i'm not that i'm not thinking properly that um, we're allowed to survive bunini's kind of hatcheting. and, and the, the, the eastern rites uh, of the church that their liturgies uh, they have that that focus on the preparation and then with the you know they have the, the octave And then they have the leave-taking, a special feast that concludes the octave of that particular feast. And they've got multiple of those as well. And that hasn't hurt their liturgy any, hasn't made it so oppressively burdensome that they can't say their liturgies. So why is it so oppressive and burdensome in the Roman liturgy? Uh, Because some guy felt that way and Uh, cut it out.
5: I'm so glad that, though, that, that you mentioned that look, I, if I were stranded on a desert island for the rest of my life and all I had was a 62, I'd be thanking God. I'd be so happy to have the 62. So you're not, you're right. This that. is <laughs> yeah. not like snobbery. Like, this is, you know what I mean?
3: Right. Just because we got to talk about what we aspire to. But sometimes when you do, people get the wrong idea and they think that you're judging them somehow or you're. Yeah. 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 People, people personalize. They aren't you satisfied? We just got our, our mask here. Look!
4: Look! I'm, I'm the flou my shirt. I'm making sure, making sure if I'm ever stranded on the island, I at least have That's that.
5: That's it. That's <laughs> it. But you know, look—if you have to choose between the 62 and this,
13: I'll
0: open the four directions. I will whistle four times. This is a wild turkey bone I've had for about 20 years, and I use it in my ceremonies. Before I do that. I'd like for you to put your hands on your heart, each one of you. The heart can be like a talking stick, but that's where the Creator put wisdom in humans. And we often need to remind ourselves of this. It's an important gesture to connect ourselves with that wisdom. the Western grandmother
14: to give us access
0: to the sacred circle of spirits so they can be with us, so we can be united and stronger together.
5: okay all right that's all i could do i know i that's all i could do i think brother martin literally just smashed his computer uh like i said i'll take 62 over that any day right i mean right it, at that point it's like not snobbery it's just take what you can get mm-hmm. um guys it's it's really flown by but it's time body, 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 body.
3: Okay, um, so I wasn't quite ready for that, so let me pull something up here.
5: (laughs) I gave you no notice, zero notice. Right,
3: zero notice. So um, we finished moving. Thanks be to God. That's done with uh, the miserable process. Uh, Once everything gets set up, um, I'm not moving. I'm just not going to do it. So um, anyway, it's uh, so we're kind of settled in. I'm slowly getting getting back to work, uh, hopefully. Um, but uh, let me see here. i got to figure out. There we go. So I've got some new books that should be coming out relatively soon. Um, uh, no, 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 no. I think I want to do it this way. Okay, yeah, there we go. So it just hasn't, oh yeah, I don't have the back text yet. Anyway, so one uh, moment, let me switch over my screen. So there is a great book, Her Feast Day, this particular, uh, Blessed actually, uh, recently canonized, will be uh, on uh, September 14th. So uh, Blessed Mary Celeste Crosterosa. And I thought about doing Maria, but um, it's generally given as Mary's in the book. So I just kept that in the title. So who is she? Have you ever heard of this person before? Probably not. That's why Mediatic Express is here to help you, again, to find people in the tradition that you may have never heard of. So she is the founder of the Redemptorist Teens. That is the Redemptorist Nuns. And actually her rule was extremely inspiring to St. Alphonsus Liguori. And Alphonsus Liguori, when he encountered her, um, came her director, helped her to get this <clears throat> institute in, in, uh, going, and that's how he got The Redemptorist started. All right. And so without her, you probably don't have a St. Alphonsus, at least not as the founder of The Redemptorist. Mm-hmm. So this is a great book and like a lot of uh, really well-written biographies. It is not just... Uh, pure, you know, not just, it's not a dry, boring history. It's not some crazy, hagiographical hey, saints, you know, biography. They're, they're going on about various miracles. And you're sitting there like, what's the basis for this? You know, is there, you know, this is a really well-written uh, biography. It's a spiritual biography. Mm-hmm. So it covers not just the events in her life and how she, um, you know, got the, got the order, you know, started and all her, her, her life work, but also um, her interior life, her spiritual life. Etc. So um, this one will be out by September. Uh, by September, probably probably a lot earlier than that. We'll see. And so then there's uh, one more coming out. Um, someone actually used to publish this, and I just got to find it. Hold on. Here we go. Anyway, used to publish this book. It's a it's a little devotional of Saint Alphonsus And there we go. Anyway, so he offered it to me. And so we worked out the rights and, and it's, it's not a major heroing work. So anyway, let me get this over, but it's, it's a, it's a wonderful little book for, there we go. So San Alphonsus Liguori for every day. So it's about a hundred pages. So it's basically like a thoughts of book, like, you know, you get little books, thoughts of St. Therese, things you take with you to um, you know, you have in your stand for morning prayers or you take with you at adoration or what have you, but it's divided up with, um, you know, really well organized, tightly, you know, organized um, thoughts of St. Alphonsus for every single day of the entire year. Hmm. And um, it's a small book, you know, it's only a hundred pages or uh, just over that. So the uh, anyway, so it's on pre-order right now. Um, because so I got to approve the final cover and then hopefully get copies of it next week. So if you buy it, I shall have it by then. Uh, and again, nice handy little book, especially if you want to combine it with something else, uh, which I might recommend like, uh, this one, which I've talked about before the ascent of the mind of God, by the ladder of creation, so awesome. uh, awesome treatise by St. Robert Bellerman. Uh, on on the heavens, on, you know, all these things that God created to help us get to heaven itself, on man, on angels, on, on even God's nature and how every last thing that God put in, in the world and creation is designed to get us to heaven. And so um, anyway, so that's what I have, plus many more books at Mediatrics Press. Um, I do have, you know, a, a, a ton of needs still, uh, that I'm trying to, you know, get uh, because we're looking at getting our property fence. That's a big bill, so that's going to have to wait. Um, we got, we're still waiting for the house to get put up, uh, but all that paperwork got, uh, you know, finished off and taken care of. So that should finally be happening soon. So if you, uh, so in your uh, heart, uh, what is it Mother Angelica said? Put us between the gas and the electric bill. Um, you know, something. <laughs> all <that you> <laughs> it, it, basically, yeah. It, so think of a book. Um, you know, and I, I, prefer, you know, look, see some books you like, uh, please buy them. I just updated the inventory, so we shouldn't be showing back orders and things I actually have. Um, and one more time, one more thing to ex- make extra long my grift. Um, I just gotta find it and open it, but, um, next week, actually, we got to figure out what exactly we're doing for the, the rundown next week. At this very time, I will be at uh, Mater Dei Parish in Dallas, and I will be talking, get the thing up here, where did you go, there we go, I will be talking about Saints John Fisher and Thomas Moore at Mater Dei Catholic Church in Irving, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so if you're reasonably close to that, uh, you know, please do come uh, and know some people that are making a drive a couple hours to come, which, I mean, really? I <laughs> hope, you, hope you're going to get a lot of alcohol because, man, you're going to need it. But um, no, really, it's going to be an excellent uh, conference. And so and I'm not just uh, going to blab. I'm going to blab with a PowerPoint, show you all kinds of original documents and manuscripts and things that connect history that you didn't know. So Friday night, uh, next Friday night, I'm going to be start my blabbing at 7 purely on St. John Fisher. So if you want to know more about St. John Fisher and you didn't want to buy my book because you're not going to read 300 pages about him, um, this is a great chance uh, to see how he connects with um, so much in the learning of the time, what an absolutely brilliant uh, figure he was, his theological writings against Luther, where I'll take time to explore uh, actually a bit of his theology on uh, a lot of different things, things you never knew about because you didn't know he wrote all these things because they're in Latin. Um, Saturday morning, we'll kind of pause with uh, Fisher's Life uh, as we get to uh, what's covered in the third talk, uh, as we get to the Catherine of Aragon situation. So then uh, Saturday morning, uh, there's mass and, uh, you know, a little light breakfast will be provided Friday night. There's going to be some refreshments. Then um, I'm going to get going on Thomas More and Henry VIII. And what I've done with this one, instead of just giving you a straight-up biography of more than straight of Henry, I've intertwined them into the actual chronology of how everything progresses from Moore's birth through Henry's accession to the throne, and all the way, just as we stop with Fisher, uh, again, right before the situation that begins with the king's great matter, because then that's the last talk where I get to abuse you for an hour and 15 minutes of Uh, intense discussion of politics, theology, the whole question of of the annulment, got lots of manuscripts, lots of things that you don't really pick out except in complicated academic works and the, um, you know, to help give a little more detail to all the things that went on. So it's going to be a great time. There's going to be a lot to learn, um, a lot, a lot for me to get through. So I will also be there with books. And so, and if there's a specific book, uh, that you want and you don't want to pay shipping on and you're going to be there. Uh let me know so that hopefully I can get it if I don't have it, but I should have it, and I'll make sure to bring a couple copies so that I'll have one for you. And uh, where my daughter will be checking everybody out at the checkout for the for my uh, point of sale thing, so I Griff more books.
4: As you all know, I'm brother Martin and I'm uh, a founder of a new traditional Augustinian monastery. Uh, recently, um, well, started back last November, we received an, a particular attack from a particular uh, media organization. Uh, fake that news. Question, that question, exactly, fake news organization. Uh, that question, our, our tax exempt status. And they particularly asked, like, having been existed in less than one year, why they haven't filed for the, the the 1090, 1093 form or whatever it's called um, for tax exemption. And there were several reasons for that. One is that being a religious organization, we didn't necessarily need it because we're automatically tax deductible and tax deduction and tax exempt are two different reasons. Um, but also because we had something like over two plus years um, uh, ability to file that form. And, and it, it precisely says that at the, at the top of the form needed to, to file for tax exemption um, with the IRS so if I can share my screen, share screen, let's see. Do I have this possibility? Oh, man. What is it? Uh, I don't know if you have that power. Please. Okay. Well, can I give you power? Uh, maybe not. Do I? Do I is it power? a web
3: address? If it's a web uh, address, sure, it's me in the private chat, and I'll put it up for you.
4: It's not a, it's not a well, No. It's not a. No, it's not. Unless no, the you're uh. Your screen, brother.
3: How do I? How do I go out of this? <laughs> okay, uh, there screen. you go. Um, okay. <laughs> are you sharing? When you share screen, uh, um. Okay, what I need to do. It should you. Say it says show entire screen. Then there's window. Then there's uh, whatever browser you got open. I think Chrome. It's optimized for Chrome. So if you're using Chrome, it'll say Chrome tab. Uh, it may have it for Firefox. I'm not sure. Okay. all right listen
4: if you want a determination letter you can have our determination letter i have it we have our determination letter just said we're both tax deductible and tax exempt because we filed between the IRS's uh time limit or whatever that they require and we got it um but there's still an article out on the web saying that we're that we're not tax deductible and tax exempt as of as of a few weeks ago, it's completely and totally false, <laughs> but this news organization isn't, isn't uh, committed enough to the truth to update their, their article. Fake um, news. So I wanted to say that it, for those that are committed to the truth, here's the truth that we're taxed as well and tax exempt. Um, so if you want to support a, a traditional Augustinian monastery in the future of tra- uh, traditional Catholicism, you can go to com slash giving. And we have our determination letter as opposed to uh, contrary to what this this fake news article says about us
5: oh right uh, third time's a charm uh, <laughs> it's, uh hey, it's grip.
2: hello yeah. um this is a great book i haven't had the uh chance to Grift this book for you guys out there. This is a monumental work by Bishop T. C. A. de Malere. Uh, this book basically is the wonderful uh, biography of uh, Marcel Lefebvre. I almost said I almost said Saint Marcel Lefebvre. Uh, in any case, uh, this is very well documented, well sourced. It's a great book. It gives you um, a lot of insights into the. Uh, Archbishop's life into his upbringing, what makes him uh, or what made him who he was and why he, uh, the man of his age uh, in that time uh, in the early uh, 20th century was sent to uh, mission to those in Africa and how that helped him in his mission uh, post-Vatican II in order to build um, a, a society which he used to uh, sustain and to maintain uh, the faith um, of Catholics in, in the world now, obviously. Uh, started small at, uh, at Cone and uh, broadened out to the rest of the world. Uh, great, great stories here. It talks about a lot of his relationships um, within the Vatican, uh, especially with Car- Cardinal uh, Ratzinger at the time, who later became Pope Benedict. If you want to know why I'm so critical of Ratzinger, a lot of that you can find in this book. And uh, a lot of what's in this book actually helped me understand how the machine of the Vatican works. And it hasn't changed, you know, so uh, earlier before um, uh, I really understood what the Vatican was doing and uh, certain certain questions in my mind. um, I couldn't quite wrap around until I read this book. And then I understood, oh, wow, there is a deep state and the deep state, uh, much as we see in the uh, political in the uh, political realm also exists in the ecclesial realm. Uh, realm. So this is a great book. Thanks uh, to Mrs. C for linking this book here. Uh, I think everyone should go read it. You don't have to be a fan of the Archbishop to want to know exactly what his mission was. And honestly, uh, I know a a person uh, whom you all know who did not really understand who the Archbishop was and was not a fan of his until he read the book, until he read this book. And then he understood exactly what was going on. You know, so this book is a great resource and everyone should pick this up. And um, yeah, you know, when you do, just shoot me a Twitter message and let me know how you're enjoying it. I'd like to grift
5: today for my namesake, St. Michael, St. Michael the Archangel. St. Michael's Lent is coming up. It begins very soon. Starts after the feast of uh, the Assumption, um, the fifteenth of August. I wanted. To, I want to grip two things with respect to Saint Michael's Lent and tell you a little bit about it. First of all, I want to grip this book here. It's called Consecration to Saint Michael. It's a little nine-day preparation. It's put out by Angelus Press. Happened to be at the Angelus Press bookstore earlier today. Ran into some old friends. Consecration to Saint Michael, written by. Uh, a man who I have met in person, Cajal, and, and I admire him. St. Michael's Lent was popular in the Middle Ages. It was a, a mini Lenten period from August 15th until September 29th, which is the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. So today, if you're listening to this live or if you're watching it within a couple days, days, uh, we're coming up on August 15th. That's when the St. Michael's Lent begins. Get your copy from Angelus Press, Consecration to St. Michael, and uh, you'll have plenty of time for it to arrive so that nine days out from the 29th of September, you can make your consecration. Second thing I want to grip, also related to St. Michael, the Feast of St. Michael. If you go to Our War Path, uh, we, uh, we had Joe Riggi come on a couple weeks ago on the rundown, talk about, the rosary march that he wants to lead on September 29th and September 30th the Feast of St. Michael and the day after in Peoria, Illinois. That rosary walk, just walking into the parish there, walking into the cathedral, has been suppressed by the local bishop there, which is, of course, as always, backfiring against these modernist bishops. More people are joining. Our buddy Matt Gaspers with Catholic Family News has just been added as one of the speakers at this thing, so they're going to have Speakers, Archbishop Vigano, Father Altman, John Henry Weston, Doug Barry, he's going to do some push-ups for you, and then uh, Matt Gaspers. So this is a little spontaneous thing that is catching fire. I think even Taylor Marshall has endorsed it, the March for Catholics happening in Illinois. It's a two or three mile walk. It ends in the uh, the, uh, church there in Peoria, and then there are some booths and some talks. I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. It happens um, on the Feast of St. Michael. Again, get the book. And it's good practice for some of the longer walks that happen in the fall, notably the Three Hearts Pilgrimage, which I still plan to be at in October in uh, Oklahoma. Finally, don't forget, I would still love to stick it to those fake newsers so you can donate to my legal defense at, uh, what is my website? givesandgo.com slash cm. TV. All right, guys, we got to do we have to do more important things than grifts. We have to give our unpopular opinions tonight. And we start, as always, with our good buddy Ryan Grant. And you're muted a second time! I win! I haven't done it
3: <laughs> once tonight! Yes, I win! I win! I win!
2: <laughs> Settle down there, Marine.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right, let's see. Yeah, of course I started talking as I was looking for this. There we go. So, okay. Uh, I got the desk elevated, so it's shaking a little bit more.
2: Today. Wait, first so, of all, who won the last one?
3: I never put the last one up because yeah, I, we didn't, we were, I didn't have we internet slagging. access. And my wife was we sick, and I didn't manage the house. We slacked and, so, last week, so we are I know. Ryan took a break. was
5: moving, and I'm starting a new thing, and people are just doing stuff.
3: So this week's will go up. though. I'll do it tonight. Um, but anyway, so where are we? Unpops in the wake of Traditiones Custodes, jailers of the tradition, as I affectionately translate it, uh, there's been a lot, uh, I've noticed it in a lot of places on Twitter and some other ones in the, um, how should we put it? For those who are, who do not favor Ecclesia Day communities, diocesan TLMs, whatever, say that, well, they've compromised. They're, they're not trad enough for us, which, hey, go where you're going to go. I don't care. Um, and as you know, I'm not anti-anything as far as, you know, I, I go to an FSSP church. I have nothing against the SSPX or or anyone who goes there. Um, I've even turned around my views. At least I've softened on it towards Edivacantus. And whereas I, if you remember older stuff I've done, I used to be much harder on them. I still don't agree with it, but at least personally, you know, I, I have less interest in attacking them. Now We, I think my, we really need Trad Unity. And so I've seen in a lot of places people saying, oh, look, well, just as well as if France is suppressing all these masses, it's, it's great. Well, people are losing their liturgical home, right? People are losing uh, something that's, spirit, that's been spiritually valuable to them. And they may be in an area where they don't have the SSPX or anyone else. And, and so, and I, I we shouldn't be rejoicing over the actual even even if you think it's good and there's a certain level where even i think it's like well let's let's finally get the battle lines drawn but at the same time you know we shouldn't be rejoicing over people losing their spiritual homes which i have seen some people do it and so my unpopular opinion is we need more trad unity stop the circular firing squad stop you know you know and i've seen it i've seen a lot of post crop up the beneficantists do a lot of this but the set of, they're certain. Set of the that are doing this too. Well, you can tell Bergoglio is not a real Pope because a real Pope wouldn't do this. That's a logical fallacy. That's the no true Scotsman fallacy. You know, obviously he's not, he's not a true Scotsman because a true Scotsman does it this way. It's so, and so on and so forth, right? Stick to your arguments for your position that are actually lot, you know, based on principles and logic and reason. Don't go to these things and let's support each other because we all want the tradition. You know, if you're going to diocesan traditional mass, for the most part, you want the tradition. Or your fraternity, you, you go to fraternity masses, you want the tradition. If you're going to the society, you want the tradition. If you're going to independent chapels, you want the tradition. If you're going to a set of a Kansas church, it's because you want the tradition, and you think this is the best way to recoup it. All right, let's all, we can all come to certain levels. All right, we don't agree on the how or the mechanics per se. There's certain issues on one side or the other that that will have to be reconciled at some point for sure. But let's not let's kind of end the the hate fest on in social media against each other and against all these people. Let's work on recouping the tradition and praying for the tradition and and bring about a unity amongst traditional Catholics rather than the circular firing squad. and um, and, And especially if you're out there and you're not praying and there are people like this, but you're tweeting all day about whatever issue and, and going after modernists and whatever, we're going to own FSSP or on the flip side, we're going to own the SSPX or we're going to own those SETIs or the SETIs, We're going to own those recognize and resist people, whatever. um Stop it. Let's focus on, 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 we know what we want. We know what we love. Let's bring to, you know, at least to, to United in charity, recognizing that everyone here wants the tradition, even if we don't agree how we're going to get there. And that's, that's my unpopular opinion.
4: All right. Uh, that's a good one. Brother Martin. The I, don't know how the, I don't know how the Sanborn said is. is. going to take that. But mm-hmm. um, my unpopular opinion is this time it's not going to be toilet paper. And even though baby formula also is very much a necessity for the survival of, of infants, um, or it can be in certain circumstances, uh, before the, the, the November elections, uh, I really do believe there's going to be some sort of crisis for all of us, that the government is going to take some sort of um, uh, object that we need to sustain our life, whether it be extremely high prices for meat that we can't even afford it, whether it be gasoline, uh, whether it be even even the price of, of purified water or something. Um, there's going to be some sort of, of crisis Um that we're all going to have to face collectively, even if it's just one week or two weeks uh, before the midterm elections, because they they want to sell to us that we need them and we need to cling to them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that's kind of my popular opinion is that the 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 new world order, the the WEF or the Biden administration, whatever, they're they're going to continue to antagonize us. They're going to t- continue to try to put pressure on us and try to sell us the fact that we we need them. Um, that they're the daddy government, their their papa government, uh, that we can't, that we really can't, we tr- we can't trust ourselves to sustain our own lives, uh, to provide for ourselves, and that we ultimately depend on the government, which is obviously untrue. Um, so that's my popular opinion: is that daddy government is going to to come down on us again?
5: Yeah, okay, we got some softball this week. Unite the clans and distrust the government, James. Come, this is your chance to win but you do have to unmute to win.
2: <laughs> you still have kidding. to unmute I, I, to win. I, I, I'm kidding. Okay, here we go. All right. Well, here's my unpopular opinion for this week. So uh, this week we've heard uh, Bishop Williamson um, give us uh, various accounts of uh, – you know, uh, you know, his story uh, and uh, the mind of certain people around him at the time. Uh, and we've heard a lot of uh, history. So I've, I've come to the conclusion. I may have felt this uh, for, for a while, but now it makes sense to uh, sort of say it out loud and say it proud. I think Bishop Williamson is a traditionalist hero. Uh, And the reason I say this is because he stood his ground early on against the mob and the media and within the ranks of uh, the church, the, you know, the modernists, the conservatives, and even other traditionals basically united (laughs) in clanship to cancel uh, Bishop Williamson. So this is another uniting of the clans back before it was popular, right? This was the first, you know, uh, 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 that uh, a lot of these people united, you know, you had the uh, liberal progressive media, you had the co- conservative media, you had the, the the modernists and the, the traditionalists in the church. Everybody conspired to basically silence Williamsman, and push him out. And even his own society uh, uh, confers d- decided they had had enough. And he was actually asked to compromise on a couple of things. And uh, he stood his ground and he did not, Acquiesced to those demands and he knew what it meant he knew he would be canceled and what did he do he didn't take the pen and sign he didn't read a statement he didn't uh, offer any apologies he just quickly um sort of went went away you know and that's kind of what we see today is a need we need we need people like that you know who can say something and then back it up by their action and so we we hear or we're reminded of benedict's um, speech you know pray for me that i may not flee for fear of the wolves and then as soon as he said that he turned around and basically ran the opposite direction from the wolves you know and so we have to think about this i mean i, I don't i don't believe uh 100% of bishop williams's views well maybe 95 95% you know but i not, certainly certainly not 100% of his views i i just realize that in this time especially when it calls uh when we're in a time as today that calls for people to stand and have moral courage it takes someone like uh williamson standing with what he thinks is true and what is real uh objectively speaking and not being crucified for it or rather uh, to stand tall and then being crucified for it and not having to back down Uh, And, you know, that, that in my view, is uh, something that's lacking in today's in today's world. Um, You know, we can't even have um, Cardinal Burke speak very openly about, you know, Pope Francis. And that's very scary. So he issued some words of comfort to traditionalists this past week. But um, it was either it was either it was neither here nor there really uh, sort of uh, like flying uh, firing a blank weapon. Um, but, um, you know, someone such as, uh, Bishop Williamson is the, the, you know, the person who honestly, uh, was canceled first and is more relevant today after his cancellation than, than any, any other time, uh, within his, uh, episcopate. And so I, I think he's a traditionalist hero. And, uh, a lot of people don't like this. It's not a popular, um, idea to even bring up his name in polite traditionalist, uh, circles, Mm. but, uh, there we go. I've said that.
5: Okay, this is the week I'm going to win. Wait, I uh, should we get the... a quick summary? You know, the
3: name is uh, Unpop. What's that? What was that? Because I'm trying to write these down for the poll. James, can
2: you summarize
3: your Unpop again?
2: Yeah, Bishop Williamson is a traditionalist hero.
5: <laughs> I love it. Okay, it's no question that we have a crisis in masculinity in the world today. And unfortunately, that we're not immune to that crisis also within the traditionalist world circles, I think the reasons for it are a little bit different though. And in fact, I'm the person who tells you every week, I tell you every week, homeschool is a more or uh, public school is a mortal sin. Uh, I say it, uh, because I think it's true. I've heard it from traditional priests and I've reasoned my way to it. Are there exceptions? Yeah, of course there are exceptions. Homeschooling is one of the more reasonable options that we have right now for raising our sons. Um, many people don't have access to a good, legitimate, trustworthy, authentic Catholic school, but ladies and gentlemen, today, what I'm going to tell you is, is another nuance to that. The fact of the matter is homeschooling boys, there's a danger in homeschooling boys because at a certain point, a man cannot become a man until he detaches from his mother and who is usually the primary schooler in a homeschool setup. It is the mother who is usually the controlling helicopter mom who's making sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. It's the mother. And when it comes to boys and the mother detaching from her sons and letting him go, it's often, and even in traditional circles, the mother who refuses to do that. And, and it's a light form of feminism, but it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous form of feminism And it stunts the growth of young men until and unless a young man can leave his home and become self-reliant and ideally go through some kind of uh, physical uh, endurance where he has to where he has to trust his own physical capabilities and see himself as becoming one of the men as as belonging to men, having a crucible uh, let's say until and unless he can do that, he will not become a man. And so, my unpopular opinion is that I think a lot of traditional homeschooling mothers are stunting the growth of their of their men and prevent of their young men and preventing them from becoming men. And they're keeping them as boys. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of you young ladies in tradition can't find a man. You look around at your parish, you can't find someone who is an adult who is self-reliant, who can provide and protect. Because that's what a man does. He provides and protects. And you can't find that at your parish, and the reason why is because the homeschool kids have a detest from their mommies. So mothers who are watching this, you gotta let go. And you might have to let go a little bit sooner than you think. You're not letting go at 27, okay? If you're letting go at 27, there's a big problem. And that is my unpopular opinion. Trad moms are making effeminate little boys uh that that does it how do we get this thing off here ryan uh you're there good. it is it's off There we go <laughs> uh can I make
3: a prediction what's that uh can i make a prediction oh yeah predict it all right so i uh, you many of you may have seen this tweet from the bishop um where is it there it is uh the bishop of rhode island uh bishop thomas tobin <laughs> I'm convinced that if the church is to prosper in the present age, it can't hesitate to embrace and support traditional Catholics, traditional liturgies, and traditional moral values. And you've got Scott Hahn to retweet it, which is awesome, actually. But what's going to happen to poor Bishop Thomas Tobin? Well, apart from envisaging a red hat is not in his future. I think that was already obvious. I would not be surprised if a uh, apostolic uh, visitation at some point doesn't come down and uh the, you know, it may cause him to have to step down. Yeah. My, pr- my prediction is simply if there's any Latin mass communities in
4: his
2: diocese, that they'll simply be removed and he'll, that that's mine now. as well. So at this point he's got no control over it. Cause he, he's shown himself not to be a very strong, courageous Bishop in general. He wavers, nope. you know, and so with well, a little pressure, and he might not be the one actively doing it, but uh Ro might just come in anyway and just mm-hmm. decide we're doing this for your sake. And he'll <laughs> but, be there as the coward.
4: Right, in the finish exactly. of his day, so 75 is a right.
2: coward. Right. Well he,
5: he might be able to get away with those comments given that uh you know what happened to Father Jackson. So uh maybe he's immune. Maybe he's got a free pass. Ah, I see. Hmm.
2: Always the conspirator.
8: Mm-hmm
9: hmm
2: Now he gets
5: to play both I
9: sides.
2: <laughs> I know
5: Ryan Ryan is the conspirator. I everything I learned about conspiracy theories I learned from Ryan Grant. <laughs>
4: <laughs> 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 the king of conspiracies, the anarchist. People are asking oh, yeah, us if exactly, we'll do six exactly. hours since we yeah. skipped
5: since we skipped last week. I don't think we can do six hours, but I but 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 <laughs> just, just to make sure, just to underwrite that I'm going to win the unpopular opinion. I'm going to give you Tucker Carlson's advice to young men as your outro. Good night. Good evening. God bless you. Thank you for watching. Advice to young people, particularly young men, is just
12: dive face first into it. Like, drop out of college. College is ridiculous. Unless you're moving towards some very specialized degree that you can only get in college. If you want to be a veterinarian or a physicist or something. But if you're in humanities, you know, I can give you a list of 100 books. You can find it on the internet. And you'll be better educated than you would be at whatever stupid college you go to. A- B, get married and, you know, choose wisely, but don't overthink it. You know, don't overthink it. People overthink it. Like if you're compatible with someone and and you can smell that, you can make it work. And by the way, it's never easy because men and women fundamentally don't understand each other. That's the whole joy in it. That's why marriage makes you grow is because you don't really understand the other person. So you have to try every day to decipher what that person is saying. Have more children than you can afford. Take a job you're not qualified for. Like, go balls out. You know, just go balls out. I don't know what is ever. Everyone-
0: I've always considered myself to be an inclusive educator, but it's only been in the past few years that i put my words into actions. So at the start of a semester, I ask my students for their pronouns, a reminder that they are not preferred, but they are the pronouns that we should be addressing them by. And I also ask them to tell me if I can use their pronouns in front of the class, in front of other teachers, and when I call home, because everyone is in a different part of their journey and we need to be able to respect that.
14: And the question is whether or not we should be in a position where you uh, um, are. Why can't the 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 experts say we know that this virus is, in fact, uh, um, uh, it's going to be uh, or excuse me, we, we, we know why all the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. Yeah. You, you, you got the vaccination? Yeah. Are, are you? Are you OK? I mean, you see. No, it works. Or, you you know, or, 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 or the mom and dad or or, or 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 the neighbor or when you go to church or when you're. You know, no, I, I, I really mean it. There are trusted interlocutors. Think of the people. If, if your kid wanted to find out whether or not there were there's a man on the moon or whatever, you know, something or, you know, whether those aliens are here or not. You know, who are the people they talk to beyond the kids who love talking about it? Oh, look out.
3: Wow, that is a tough kid right there.
12: Hey Jarvis, hit his helmet.
3: This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, Bubz. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right? Look at me. Look, look, look. You didn't